0: Have your Bibles turn to Romans chapter 8. Let's pray and then we'll dive into the Word this morning. Father, thank you for your Spirit, thank you for your Word. Thank you for the work that you will do this morning through both your spirit and your word. We look forward to giving you the glory and giving you the praise, because you're worthy of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, my message is aimed at one audience, at one target, and that is you, the Christian. The God you serve is the one that can only be solely trusted in anything. He has to be your sole trust. He is the one that you must put all your eggs in one basket. Now, if you're an unbeliever here this morning, I trust by the time that we're finished that you'll realize that if you do not have Christ, And after what you hear this morning, that you will realize that the boat that you're in is full of holes and you won't reach your destination. It's only in Christ that we have such an assurance. Now, our texts are well-known verses, and I pray this morning, Christian, that you won't turn it on autopilot. Just because you have heard these verses before. Let God's word minister to you once more. I have three points. First, we have a certain promise; Secondly, we have a certain purpose, and lastly, we have a certain protection. The first, we have a certain promise. Look in Romans 8:28 with me. it says, "And we know that all for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose." That's quite the promise, isn't it? That's the promise we like to hang our hat upon when, we, when we're in trial. But I want to give you a context for the promise. And to fully appreciate the promise, we have to see what context God made that promise to us. So if you would look above, in, beginning in verse 18 of Romans 8, You'll see, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly to the adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies, For in this we hope, for in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with his groanings too deep for words. We've been there. We've had to have the songs in the night there. We know what it's like. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So God has a context for everything he says. He's not, he doesn't just give promises like the dentist gives lollipops. He has a purpose He has a reason. He has a a, a goal in mind for us. They are put within the framework of real life. The Word of God is where we live. We cannot read the Word and soak it in as though it's separate from us. It deals with us right where we are. It deals with us as as we ache and as we moan and as we groan. The Word of God does that for us. They mean something to us. So the certain promise, if we look at it here, isn't the context for you and me real life? Isn't this the one promise that the church quotes when the trial comes? When difficulties come our way? It's the verse Christians hang their hats on when life throws them a curve when they're looking for the fastball. Sometimes life doesn't go the way that we anticipated. Sometimes life has mystery to it. But we have a certain promise. Now today I'm not going to exegete the verse itself, but rather unfold to us why this verse is true and is worthy of our hope. After all, this is why we quote it, isn't it? And we know that Though for, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Are we not believing that the Lord now, at this very moment, is working on your behalf as a Christian? Aren't you hanging your hat on that? Are you not staking your life that it's true and that you throw all your eggs into that basket? Doesn't this promise look at us for trust. It beckons to us. It calls to us. It says, trust me. Because it's certain. Now I can see your minds whirling with with this question. What does God mean by the word good? Is Paul saying whatever happens is good? Good. No. Is he saying that suffering and evil and tragedy are good? No. Is he saying everything will work out if we just have enough faith, if we click our heel together three times, that everything will work out just dandy? No. Is he saying that we will be able to understand why God allowed tragedy to come? No. No. Ask Job. He still doesn't. Well, he does now. (laughs) But he didn't know then. What then is he saying? He is erecting a sign over the unexplainable mysteries of life. A sign that reads Quiet! God is at work. That's what he's saying. How? We're not always sure. But we do know to what end? Good. We don't know how he's doing it or why he's doing it, but we know he's doing it for good. Do you remember the the children of Israel when they were being carried off to Babylon? What were the ears that they heard? What were the words that they heard In their minds and in their hearts as they were being carried away. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Yeah? Just think of yourself as an Israelite. As you're listening to those words. Yeah? I'm being carried. I'm being cut off. But God is working for good. But how do I know it's certain? How do I know it's true? We know because Romans, Romans 8.28 is true because we know God and He has said it. When God says something, He means it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let there be light. Poof! Light! He didn't waste words. He's able to carry out what He says. His word is trustworthy, and that guarantees his promise. Abraham was looking for a home whose builder and maker was God. Had he, did he ever see it at the time? No. But he kept pressing toward the mark. Why? Because God said, go. We know because we know him. We know not by looking at the events of our life, but by knowing our God. We don't know by studying the pattern of the cloth, but we know the designer of the fabric. We know it not by listening to the notes of the symphony, but by knowing the composure. He is composing a symphony within our life, and we know that it will work together for good. And at the end, it will be a sweet melody. There are so many things we don't know. We don't know why babies die or why cars wreck or why planes crash or why families break up or why good people get sick and suddenly die. We don't have the answers for that. Not all the time. But we do know who dies. And we do know that God is working for good. This we do know. God is a very present help in the time of trouble. We have to remember what Paul is, is not saying here. Paul is not expressing faith in the goodness of all things, but in the goodness and sovereignty of God. That's what he's getting at. Because our finite minds don't know the, the, the end from the beginning. He does. I read toys old saint. Said Romans 8:28 is a soft pillow for a tired heart. It's your soft pillow for a tired heart. This is what Paul wants you to Christian to embrace. Like cogs in an intricate piece of machinery, all things work together for good to the call of God for the simple reason that God's purposes cannot be thwarted. People have been trying to kill the church for the last 2,000 years, and we're here. For thousands of years, they've been trying to get rid of the Bible. We're here. Voltaire said that he would work to destroy the Bible, and as God can only do it as a strike of irony and humor, 50 years later, after he died, the first Bible was printed in his house. God's will will not be thwarted. Secondly, we have a certain purpose. Look at me, with me in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now you'll notice that there are repeated words in verses 28, 29, and 30. You'll notice the word called, the word predestination, and foreknowledge. And sometimes these words upset us. Sometimes these words make us uncomfortable. Sometimes these words make us scratch our head and say, what is God saying? Some of us even have the pictures of scary doctrines that are connected with these words. But may I suggest to you this morning, my brothers and sisters, that these words are good words because God inspired them, caused Paul to write them. The words are good because they're God's words, not my words, not your words. All scripture is given by God. The Lord doesn't use words to divide, but to convey a truth he wants you to believe. In a lot of cases, these words have been thrown around like a theological football. They've been used to hammer one another over the head with. They've been used to win points in in a debate. But, beloved, these are not what these words are for. These words are to give us encouragement. They're there so that we can see not us, but God. They have to be good because they're God's words. We would use something else because we don't like controversy. Well, some of us do. What we need to remember today is God promised the Christian something in the midst of our trials and struggles a definite purpose. In this case, a divine purpose, to be conformed to the image of his Son. You see, God is not a nowhere man sitting in his nowhere land making all his nowhere plans for nobody. God has a definite purpose. To be conformed to the image of his Son. Beloved, there's no higher purpose than this. Can you think of one? And if you say winning the lottery, you're wrong. There's no higher purpose. First, God foreknew us. Before the foundation of the world, He took note of us and set His favor upon us and chose us. You only have I known of all the people on the face of the earth. He did not wait to see what we might be like in order to take us. Because if He did that... Ladies and gentlemen, I would not be here this morning. He chose us to make us what He would like, conform to the image of Christ. Secondly, He He predestined, meaning He chose us, you me, to the purpose to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that what that His Son could be preeminent one with His glory reflected in our lives. He's interested in reflecting his glory through us by conforming us to him. Hallelujah. That's good stuff. Thirdly, what it means to be called. John Piper hit the nail on the head when he said, The call of God is not like he used an illustration of dog. I'm going to use an illustration of our cat. Our cat's name is Dusty. And Dusty has a mind of his own. Dusty does what Dusty wants to do. Now, I may call here, Dusty, Dusty, Dusty. He may come and he may not come. This is not the definition of being called. The word called here is like Jesus before the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth. It was a definite dumb deal. The call of God is like the call of Jesus to the course of Lazarus. Come forth. It produces what it commands. It is an effectual call. And that is why Paul can say in Romans 8.30 that all those who are called are justified. The certainty of their justification lies in the fact that the faith by which men are justified is produced by no other than God. There's no better deal than this, Folks. I mean, here we are, we're empty, we're corrupt, we're rotten to the core. He comes along and says, look, I'm going to give you a promise. I'm going to give you a purpose. And oh, by the way, just sit back and receive it. Because we can't help him with it. Certainty is the key here. We must bank on that we are called and our lives have purpose designed by the perfect designer himself. That's the reason why we can know that it is a certain promise. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1. If you go there with me, Ephesians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he has chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Are you catching it? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished, poured, soaked us upon us. And all wisdom and insight make knowing. To us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. Which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. There was no doubt that this was going to happen. It was certain. To unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. we got a good thing going. Howard Hendricks writes that the Bible was not written to satisfy your curiosity, but to make you conform to Christ's image. Not to make you a smarter sinner, but to make you like the Savior. I think sometimes we want that. Don't we We want to be smart, but yet, you know, do the stuff that we used to do? But Not to fill your head with a collection of biblical facts, but to transform your life. That's where he's at. He's at your life, dealing with you, working with you, conforming you to a great purpose. In other words, what Paul is saying, Romans eight twenty nine is this. God's good is that we should be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Anything that makes us like Jesus is good. How many hands do I see? Yes, all of us, right? Yes. This gives us an entirely new perspective to heartaches and tragedies. They are part of God's plan to chip away little by little our character until Jesus is fully formed in us. He has a certain purpose. There is a certain promise, a certain purpose, and thirdly, a certain protection. You see, with me in Romans 8, beginning in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who is indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, it's 1145. I'm not going to interject this whole passage. In fact, we're just going to ponder on verse 31. Will you ponder that verse which me just for a second, let me reread it. If God is for us, who can be against us? Ponder that for a moment. Forget about Peyton Manning, Ron Wilson, uh, Russell Wilson. About the dinner that's on the, in the oven right at the moment. And ponder what this verse is actually saying. Is it sinking in yet? How do I know I will make it to the end? You must have asked that question of yourself. How do I know? How will I'm? How on God's green earth am I ever going to make it? How will I know I will survive my cancer, my divorce, my job loss, my kids going awry? How will I survive the loss of my spouse that I love so long and we did everything together and now I'm one. We used to be I used to be two and now I'm one. How will I cope and know that it isn't in vain? What's you use of coping? How will I know? Verse thirty one If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, Who dare be against us? In a world that scrambles to find God, that believes God is to be discovered by human reasoning and investigation, we find the Bible declares the opposite. Namely, that God is only known by his self-revelation. Barrett comments, The question is not whether we are on God's side, but whether he is on our side. That's the question. That's how we know we're going to make it to the end. That's how we know we have a certain promise. And that's how we know we have a certain purpose. Cranefield explains it like this that God is on our side. And such a statement is a concise summary of the gospel. God is on your side when you're a Christian. As Steve Brown says, he's not angry with us anymore. He's not mad at us. He's not waiting to club us over the head the next time we make a mistake. What evidence then is there that supports this more than effectual advocacy of God? Included in the gospel would be substitution representation, adoption, and grace endowment. But surely the thrust is here, the eternal and unstoppable design of God for us that originates in the eternally past. This is not that he, it isn't something that he just concocted on the moment. He had it all planned out. Even before you and I were even born. Man's fall wasn't by surprise. He already had a plan for us. Hallelujah. It will be accomplished. Why? Because if God be for us, who can be against us? Till tribulation knock you out of the race? Shall Satan drop you out of the race? Shall your own sin knock you out of the race? Anything, any person, any nation, if God be for us, who can be against us? God for us is guaranteed (laughs) by the golden chain, which is he who foreknew, he predestined to be justified, sanctified, glorified, everything for us. Charles Wesley has written, surrounded by a host of foes, stormed by a host of foes within, nor swift to flee, nor strong to oppose, single against hell, earth and sin, single yet undismayed, I am, I dare believe, in Jesus' name. What through a thousand hosts engage, a thousand worlds my soul to shake, I have a shield." quell their rage, and drive the alien armies back for trade that bears a bleeding lamb. I dare believe in Jesus' name. If God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.31 was John Calvin's life verse. And this is what he says. The logic of our text, Calvin write, seriously applied, pushes us to the height of confidence this verse means more than the fact that god is graciously disposed toward believers meaning that he's not just putting up with us you've been in those cases right where you are in somebody's house and you know they want you to leave they won't come out and say that but you, you can just you, they're just putting up with it that's not god he's not just biding his time for us to leave he wants us he chose us he called us All that he does, beloved, as you read this note, you may feel defeated. But Paul's encouraging truth is that evil will never prevail. Believers will always be led to victory in Christ because God is for us. So write your name in this verse and believe it is true. God is for me. You can take it to the bank. You can rely upon it. You've been very patient. Let's wrap it up with a quote that I found from Tim Keller. He says, our adoption means we are loved like Christ is loved. We are honored like he is honored, every one of us, no matter what. Your circumstances cannot hinder or threaten that promise. In fact, your bad circumstances will only help you understand and even claim the beauty of that promise. The more you live out who you are in Christ, the more you will become like him in actuality. Paul is not promising you better life circumstances. He is promising you a far better life. He's promising you a life of greatness. He is promising you a life of joy. He is promising you a life of humility. He is promising you a life of nobility. He is promising you a life that goes on forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. God is good. We have a certain promise. And we have a certain purpose. And we have a certain protection. Let those be our rallying call for the rest of our lives. Let it sink in. Let it be us because it's what God says of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness toward us. Thank you for loving us so well. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a promise as you did, for the purpose and how you protect us. I pray that it has been an encouragement to my family, my brothers, and my sisters, and that it has glorified you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand, please. Thank you.
1: y'all. You are dismissed.